Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. Big things are happening at Collective this fall, and we'd love for you to be a part of them. Join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at 5103 Pegasus Court for church that doesn't feel like your typical church. We hope to see you there. Now let's get into Sunday's message. A few years ago, my wife, Ray, got a coffee table book titled, I Judge You When You Use Poor Grammar. Um, It's an incredible book, and ultimately, it's just a bunch of pictures of signs with bad grammar, misspelled words, and very uh, unfortunate formatting mistakes. It's hilarious. If you're one of those people, go out and buy this book. There's also a Facebook group that started because of the book. Um, And here are some of the examples of of things that you might see in this book. Um, This is one of the first ones. Yeah, thank you. First service, like, didn't get it. They're like, that's how you spell school. I'm like, okay, that's not good. Next week, we're talking about spelling. Uh, obviously not a good look. Like, I feel like if the, the H and the C were mixed, maybe you get to, this isn't even close. Um, by the way, this was in Florida, so it just kind of makes sense. <laughs> All right, uh, here's the second sign. There you go, there you go, there you go. Yeah, it takes you a few seconds to figure it out. Like, listen, excellence is a hard word to spell. Uh, thankfully, we've got spell check. My favorite, though, is like they're committed to excellence, but not spelling or checking their spelling. Uh, let's check out the third sign. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's a, I stared at this for like 15 minutes. I'm like, I don't know what they're trying to tell me. Either people aren't children or people are eating children. So um, I don't know how else they are, what other information they're trying to, to give people. Um, and here's the last one. Okay. So I put this in here because I feel like this is what it feels like to drive to the 85-270 interchange after church every single Sunday, where I'm like, I don't know how to get home. Like, I literally drive it every day. I called my wife the other day. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm heading toward Chick-fil-A now. I don't know. Do you want dinner? So, um, you know, left, no, turn, right, only turn. That's, that's what it feels like. And it's going to feel like forever. It's not getting better. Um, but sign like, signs like this are all over the place. And the thing is, we barely notice them partly because we just don't read signs, right? When they're on doors, we just skip right past them. But also because our brains have this incredible ability to fill in the gaps for us. A few years ago, the University of Oregon did a study, and they found that when we see or hear mistakes like the ones on these signs, our brains fix them for us without even noticing. It's the reason why I can put those up there, and it takes a few seconds, because your brain's already correcting it for you so you can move forward. And most of the time, this is a good thing, because if our brains weren't moving as quickly as they are, we would think that people are eating children, right? We just skip right over that, knowing this is a safe place to be. People aren't eating children here. But there are also times when we see or hear or read something that needs to cause us to pause for a second, because something feels off. I'm a part of a few different pastor and church groups on Facebook. Uh, Yes, they are as lame as you assume they are, so please don't judge me for that. But I seldom post anything. I I never read the comments. But the other day, I was watching football. I was mindlessly scrolling through Facebook, and I came across a post in one of these groups. Right, And it says, nothing can separate us from love of God except sin. And I wasn't really paying attention, and so I kept scrolling, right? My brain skipped right over it. But when my conscious thought eventually caught up to my brain, something felt really off about what I had just read. 
And so I went back on Facebook, scrolled back, found it again, read it again. Nothing can separate us from the love of God except sin. And at this time, this post had been shared dozens of times. I had comments on it with people posting praise hands and saying amen and preach. And I just sat there staring at it. And so I started to think through it a little bit. And, and I know, right, I know that the Bible teaches us that nothing can separate us from God's love. I also know that sin disconnects us from God, right? Us living our own way, choosing to walk outside of alignment with God's teaching creates a gap between us and him. And because of that, God sent Jesus to earth to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to be this eternal sacrifice for our sin. So that when we put our faith in Jesus, that forever pays the debt our sin creates. And we can be connected to God again in a relationship. That's Christianity in a nutshell. And so I'm reading this thing and I'm trying to process it. And that's when I realized what was wrong with this, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God except sin isn't scripture, right? This isn't the Bible. Yes, this sin disconnects us from God, but nothing separates us from his love, not even our sin. And the problem is that this is what many people believe or have been taught about God. It's the reason why people were praise handing this garbage, right? It's the reason why people were sharing this and saying, preach and amen. It's the reason why people would see this and scroll right past it without pausing, thinking this doesn't seem right. It's because so many people believe or have been taught that God's love is conditional. Right? Have you ever been told that before? Yes, it's true that God doesn't want us to sin, right? That is 100% true, but we still do it. And people believe because of that, he doesn't love us. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And just as a quick side note, we talked about this last week, but this is one of the reasons why I push you to read your Bible so much. Because if you aren't reading scripture, you'll see things like this on social media or you'll hear somebody say it and you'll think, that sounds true maybe, right? When, when scripture doesn't come from God and it's close, oftentimes we consume it and believe that is truth when it's not. And so as we continue this series where we're talking about our stories and how they matter, one of the biggest reasons people get stuck in their pain and their brokenness and their destruction is because they believe that God's love for them is conditional. And some of you are choosing not to share your story on the wall because you are not sure God can or will or has done anything in your life because why would he? Right? And so if you are in that place or if you are struggling to believe that God can love you through the pain you are experiencing, today is for you. And if you take to heart what we talk about today, your story will never be the same. And so let's start by reading what is actually true about God's love for us. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. It comes from Romans 8, starting in verse 35, and it says this. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Right? And so Paul is asking questions that many of us have asked before. Right? What stops God from loving me? Right? How far is too far? How broken is too broken? But I love the second question even more. He asks, are the hard things I am experiencing because he doesn't love me? Right? Have you ever asked those questions before? Am I too sinful to be loved by God? Is this fill-in-the-blank thing happening to me because Jesus doesn't love me? Ultimately, is God's love for me conditional? Right? Is it only when my faith is strong? Is it only when I'm not screwing things up? 
If you are asking those questions today or have asked them before, you are not alone. This church is full of people who are asking those questions. But even more so, Paul is writing this to the church in Rome because that's what the church was wondering as well. That's what this church is wrestling with. They're wondering, is God's love conditional? And so Paul writes this letter, and one of the things he does is he asks this question rhetorically. He says, can anything ever separate us from God's love? He continues, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. I looked at the original Greek for this word, nothing, to see maybe there's more to it. And here's what it means, very simple, nothing. Right? It doesn't mean nothing except sin. It just says nothing. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And Paul doubles down. He, he continues by saying, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing, right? Nothing can separate us from God's love. And the thing is, we struggle with this, right? We struggle with this because it doesn't make sense. In a world where love is conditional, right? Where we feel like we have to earn love from other people, where we feel like we can lose love from other people, We struggle with this, but this is a different type of love. This is love from God, not from people. And the word we use in the church to describe this unconditional, unearned, unrelenting love from God is grace. Grace means that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Grace is love from a Savior that's unearned, undeserved, and that we are wholly unworthy of, but he gives it to us anyways. We talk about grace all the time at Collective because we need it, right? We make mistakes, we destroy things, we hurt people, we hurt ourselves. Our lives are messy. Our stories are messy and we need grace because grace changes everything. In John 8, there's a story of a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. And we don't know all the details, how they caught her, who the other person was. We don't know those things. What we know is that she messed up, right? She messed up and she got caught. And so the story tells us that these religious leaders, they actually grab her, they drag her in front of Jesus. And there's a whole crowd there as well, because every time Jesus taught, people were there. And so they throw her in front of Jesus and they begin to ask him some questions. In John 8, verse 4, it says this, teacher, They said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And the thing is, this is a test, right? They are trying to test Jesus. They don't care about this woman. They don't actually care about the law. They care about Jesus's response. Verse six says this, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And so they're pushing Jesus. They're asking him these questions. What does he do? He ignores them. But they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, nothing can separate you from God's love except sin. Right? At least that's, that's what they wanted him to say, right? They threw this woman in front of him because that was the answer they wanted. Right? That is what they wanted him to say. And if you think about this moment for this woman, this had to be a terrible moment. Right? This is literally rock bottom. Right? How do you think she feels right now? Does she have any kind of hope? That's doubtful. 
She's probably sitting on the ground thinking, this is the worst moment of my life and nothing can change that. Right? Not only did I make a huge mistake, now it's in the public. Everybody here knows about it. Everybody here has heard my story. And I'm pretty sure she thought that this was the last day of her life, whether she'd be in prison or stoned to death in the middle of a street. And we know what this feels like, don't we? Right? We know what it's like to mess up and not see a way through it. We know what it's like to feel stuck in a low place, just waiting for the other shoe to drop waiting for the bottom to fall out, waiting for more pain and more brokenness and more shame and more judgment. We have had those moments before. It's when you found out about the affair. It's when you failed in your recovery. It's when you got the diagnosis. It's when you reached out to that friend for help and they just ghosted you. We know what it's like to be in this place. We know what it's like sitting in front of Jesus, waiting for him to tell us, you are unforgivable, you are unlovable, you are unchangeable, you are too broken. Right? We've been in that place before, but that's not who Jesus is. Let's check out what Jesus says. Uh, Jesus stands up and he says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And, and don't miss this. This is one of my favorite moments in the Bible. This is a flex, right? Jesus is flexing on him right here because he knows he's the only person in that group that can actually throw the first stone. Right? This is a king move. He puts himself on the line, not the woman. And then to top it all off, he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And I just imagine this moment in my head where he's looking at them, the way you look at your kids, and you're like, I'll wait. Like, I'll wait for you to figure this out. The story continues. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said to her, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And so Jesus looks at this woman. He asks, did any of them condemn you? Then I don't either. And it's because he loves her. He shows her grace, something better than what she deserves. She deserves punishment. She deserves something. But she gets grace. But also, and this is really important, because he loves her, he tells her to stop sinning, right? And this is just a side note in the story, but he doesn't give her permission to keep living her life the way she is living it, right? Because loving someone doesn't mean you love what they are doing, right? And we struggle with that. We want to love people, so we just assume everything they're doing is right, and that's just not the reality. Jesus says, I love you, but because I love you, go and live a different life. Jesus doesn't tell her, because of your sin, it's too late. He doesn't tell her to give up. He doesn't tell her that this is her story and nothing can change it. He says, I love you, I forgive you. In light of that, go live a different life. Live a different story. That's grace. And God's grace is what changes our story when we've screwed it all up. It's the parachute that stops us when we're free-falling. It's the courage to rebuild after the storm has destroyed it all. It's what gives us strength to keep going even though everything is falling apart. It's what picks us up, dusts us off, and tells us that we can live a different life, right? that we can keep moving forward. When we've ignored Jesus or walked away from him, when we've chosen to stay stuck in our addictions and our vices and our sin, when we've built our foundation on the wrong things, grace is what takes our stories from rock bottom to restoration. Right? And grace is the reason why our last story, Josh and Jenny, are still standing. Let's check out their story. I was at a wedding, and I met a 
a girl um, that I was mutual friends with. Um, all of, well, all of the guys that I had dated were also at the wedding. And, <laughs> and I was telling her, I was like, well, I've gone through all of these ones. None of them worked out. So I, there's no more guys left. And she was like, oh you need to come to Lynchburg, Virginia. So I did, I went, I was like, well, if all the guys are in Lynchburg, I'll go down there and see yeah. him. And that's where he was. And we actually only dated for about eight months, got engaged, were married four months later. So our entire relationship, we were friends for about a year prior to all of that. And then we got married within a year of actually dating. Were you active in faith, active in church? Was it just kind of this underlying thing in your life? Like what, what did that look like? We did join a church early in our marriage and in Maryland. And even that though, it was a great community of people, but everybody in that community was asking questions. We still hadn't gone through that deconstruction of our faith and figuring out what do we really believe in and everything. So I think when my dad died, that was probably the big catalyst for me of who is God? You know, can I trust him? Um, can I trust him with the people that I love? Can I trust him with the way that I had thought my life would go. We bought a house, you know, and it was kind of like, okay, we bought this house, we both have jobs, plan it all out and we get pregnant and it's wonderful, it's easy, you know, simple, I'm so excited. And then we ended up losing our first baby. I think that was probably the second big thing, you know, my dad had passed and within a year we lost our first kid too. So it was like, man, I guess I can't try to plan anything, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, so we had Noah and um, we actually had fertility issues for a couple of years after that because I wanted them um, boom, boom, boom. Sure. You know, we want, I originally had wanted like four kids and all of this stuff and Charlie took a little while to get, but she came around and she was six months old and there was Ethan, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of like a perfect storm of events sure. and all of a sudden we had three kids under four and life got a little crazy and yeah. I call it survival mode but like essentially like any parent with young kids it feels like you're treading water sure. and yeah. literally everything that was just a gap in who I was or my maturity level as a guy like just came to the surf yeah. and I was like whoa you know so mm -hmm. I guess some of the earlier pain in life had put me to a point where it's like my goal in life was to be comfortable to be safe to avoid pain at all costs and it kind of lulled me into this sleep state. I was on autopilot, really, in life. On my phone all the time, just checked out, in general. I, we, I don't think either one of us were really asking those questions of why do I feel empty, or why do I feel alone, or why are you behaving this way? You know, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, pick your big girl panties on and keep going, you know? Eventually it'll all be okay. This is just a season, we're gonna be fine. We'll get through the season just like everybody else gets through their season. And at some point we'll start the hard work, you know, of, of digging deeper. Uh, we were at a pool and I don't even know what I was on my phone for or what it was about. Um, Charlie was learning how to swim at the time. So we'd taken her floaties off and Jenny was really like solely focused on her and uh, the other two, they were putting on, like, you know, nose getting sunscreen on. And the first thing I remember is a 14-year-old girl in the pool saying, hey, there's a baby at the bottom of the pool, or there's a kid. And right then, uh, I knew it was mine. So I jumped in. I got Ethan out of the bottom of the pool. I saw 
what looked like Ethan, completely dead. Being lifted out of the pool, he's blue and his eyes are back and he's... And I always thought that I'd be that person that would immediately go to God. But I think at this point in my life, I had already begged God for two other lives. So I didn't even think to ask God for this one. I just started screaming help. And um, I gave him CPR. Um, I had gotten certified through work. After the second round of, of chest compressions, he, his eyes started to kind of roll back and he uh, started to cough and to sort of, you know, throw up and get the, the water out of his lungs. Screaming himself and um, they handed him to me and they told me it was, screaming's good, you know, screaming's good. And so he was up and walking the next morning and yeah. made a complete recovery. But I would say that that was the beginning of our yeah. healing process of us being like, whoa, you know, like yeah. we had to wake up ourselves. So we talk about the warning signs of something not being right. Like it just happened to like, these things were all kind of coming to the surface all at once. And one of those things was that I was uh, seeking fulfillment outside of our marriage from other women. And it was all essentially me trying to get this feel this, this, this cavernous uh, gap in myself met through ways that weren't ultimately going to fill it. We were hanging out with some friends in our neighborhood pretty late one night and I just looked over and saw that Josh was on his phone and I kind of snuck a glance at the phone and could see that it was a woman. I think at that moment I just, I just thought to myself, really? Like this picture of this world, this, this picture of life that I thought I was creating, I think I already was feeling like it was completely shattered, but this was the sledgehammer that just completely destroyed what I thought my life was. We talked a little bit about it that night, and the next day I just said, I'm leaving. You know, I actually uh, packed a bag and left him with the kids. I said, you know, you can figure this out. I need to go figure out what's next. I leaned on another um, woman who had gone through something just like this just months before, and um, I think she was the first person I called and I just said, what do I do here? You know, and she had also lost a child. And so just having that connection um, allowed me to know that, and seeing where her marriage was at that point, what the work that they were putting through, all of that made me have hope that even though this was the absolute bottom of the bottom for me and for us, yeah. that we, it wasn't over. Like there was, we could fight. You know, knowing that you know, even though this is essentially gearing up to be like the storm of our life, that God was still in that and uh, that he was a part of that. I found an Airbnb with a woman who, I didn't know it at the time, but she loved Jesus, you know? And I, she would just like bring me tea and we would sit on the front porch and talk and, and she just kept reminding me, just kept reminding me that God loved me that all of this had nothing to do with me having whack, you know, because I felt like I was trying so hard to do the right things all the time to, to create that life that everybody says you're supposed to create and be the good girl and be the good wife and, and just do everything right. And 
here I was, you know, here I was just so broken and so ashamed of um, my lack as a wife is what it felt like and my lack as a mom from almost losing my kid and all this lack. So I think I just had to come to that moment of like, I could, I have two choices. I can either be angry and resentful and bitter and just walk away from everything. Um, start over <laughs> somehow, you know, yeah. figure out what that means and what it would look like. Or I can lean into what was I knew would be really, really hard, a really hard place of grace for myself, um, for him, uh, being able to forgive. And, and I knew that, I think at the time, I, I knew that even though I was really angry with Josh, I knew it wasn't just about him. You know, um, I knew that it was about me too. It was also about the areas in which I, it wasn't lacking, like I was kind of feeling in that moment, but I needed more of Jesus. I think like the pain of that situation was a catalyst for me, because I was gonna experience pain either way. It was either gonna be a dull pain of being passive and life passing me by, um, or me losing everything because I was letting it go, um, or I was gonna fight for it. And so I chose to fight. So I needed to do a lot of work with therapy, a lot of work with figuring out why am I unhealthy and how is that creating such a significant burden on Jenny and the marriage as a whole. It was straining the relationship because of me. I had to start owning my crap, getting out of a passive state being, and actively like, working on this stuff and figuring some stuff out. So yeah, it was it was a really big growth season for me. I just had to, I went through a very, I think my process, his was like a fight or flight adrenaline, like rush, and I just kind of became a lot more still, a lot more reflective, a lot more um, just asking myself a lot of hard questions about what I wanted and why did I want it and was it really necessary? And I had to learn a lot of trust, trust in Josh, trust in God, trust in myself, you know? I didn't need to lead everything. I didn't need to be the person that was checking all the boxes and making sure we were accomplishing everything all oh, the time. Which is a tall order when like the, I'm fumbling <laughs> it so badly. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, and so I would say the first like six months, it was mostly, I mean, he was, like he said, adrenaline rushing. I mean, it was a completely different marriage, completely different husband. Everything was so different, you know? Yeah. But the adrenaline does wear off, and it did. and. So in that time, it was more of this rebuilding of, of who we are, the couple that we're gonna be, of me learning to um, not have to be husband and wife, mom and dad, but I can just be mom, I can just be wife. Letting go of a lot of areas of shame, things that I had learned growing up in the church about marriage that had created a lot of shame um, and not understanding you know, the freedom that I can have in marriage. And so there's just, there was just a lot of undoing so right now, like, how, how would you describe your relationship with Jesus through this all? Because it's very easy, especially as you diagnose and like talk through this entire thing, go, whoa, what the heck just happened? Like, you guys have been through a lot. Getting into this new season of like being alive, like feeling, like not numbing myself, not like turning myself off, but just like, just living and being present, like in my own life. And so like, it's funny sort of being a Christian in name, for most of my life, I'm 40 years old and I'm just now figuring out what it means to follow Jesus. And that to me is exciting because it's the start of a journey where it's like, 
I don't know where that's gonna take me. That's freaking exciting. Yeah. I'm still working on that relationship. It's very much a work in progress, but I feel as though as I'm learning to release a lot of this baggage of, of really my entire life, all the different things from childhood through the last few years even, um, I am beginning to create that real, tangible again relationship with him that I understand who he is and why he wants me to be someone that loves him, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. I really do feel as though he's created the good out of the mess. And that's all I can really ask right now is that there has been a lot of good that has come from a lot of pain. Yeah. You can clap for that. I know that is a very hard story here. But the thing is, it's, it's a real story. And I know some of you are thinking, I don't know how they are getting through all of that, or I don't know if I could do that, or how were they able to stay together in spite of everything, or why would they be even willing to share that in front of their church? And the answer is grace. It's because through all the storms they have faced, God's grace was constant. It was felt it was heard, it was received, it was given. And because grace is life-giving and life-changing, their story didn't end when there were storms. In another letter that Paul wrote to a different church, he writes about a pain that he is experiencing. He describes it as a thorn in his side, right? This constant nagging thing that won't go away. And we don't know what it is, but I always just assume it's something that we're dealing with right now as well. And Paul very vulnerably writes this in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so Paul tells us that he cried out to God for God to take away this thorn in his side, to take away the hurt and to take away the pain. But God said, no. God tells him, what you want is not what I'm going to give you, but what I'm going to give you is so much better. I'm going to give you my grace. Because no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, no matter what you are going through, what you need is unconditional love. What you need is a second chance. What you need is a relationship with God. And the same is true for us. God's grace is what we need. Right? God's grace is what we need. And God's grace is the only thing that is enough when times are really hard. And God's grace is more than enough to give you the strength you need to go through whatever you are going through in this season of your life. Now, here's the thing. It might not be what you want. It might not be what you're praying for, especially when you're in the valleys, but it is what you need. It's what we need. And here's the thing. If you are hearing about this idea of grace, and you were thinking, I want that, right? I need that, right? It's really simple. It starts with Jesus, right? This grace, this idea of unconditional love is real and it's available, right? You don't have to earn it. There's not boxes that you check to get there. It comes freely from a God who loves you. And so if you are not a follower of Jesus and you want that in your life, if you're ready for that, it starts with putting your faith in him. We've told four stories in this series of people who've been through incredible things. And the one common thread is Jesus. 
It's a life that he offers. And so if you're in that place and you're ready to take that next step, the way we celebrate that is baptism, right? Check the box in your connection card. It's the idea of saying yes to grace, yes to endless second chances, yes to our stories never being over, no matter how hard things get. But if you've said yes to that grace and you are struggling, this is what I want you to hear. Because I know there are some people in this room that are about ready to let go. They're ready to walk away, give up on whatever is going on in their life. They're ready to let go of God. They're ready to let go of faith. They're ready to let go of their marriage. They're ready to let go of their sobriety. Right? Because there are people in this room who are thinking, I can't do this anymore. And I get it. And listen, if you decide to give up today, the truth is you can leave this church and you can call somebody and you can find somebody who's going to support that decision for you. Right? What's really important to Josh and Jenny's story As Jenny said, one of the first people she called was somebody who would tell her to fight. She could have called somebody else. She could have called the person that would say, walk away, give up, find something new, don't do this. And you can find that person in your life at well, or you can talk to somebody who's going to tell you to push. And the thing is, it's not really my job to tell you what you should do. It's my job to create space for you to wrestle with what God is telling you to do. And the thing is, I don't know your story. Parts of it, maybe. But I don't know your story, but God does. And whatever impossible thing you are facing right now, I have no idea how you're going to get through it. Right? I don't know how you're going to face it. I don't know how you're going to survive it. But what thing, one thing I do know is that God does. And he will give you the strength to keep going. And so if you are in that place, don't quit. Right? Don't give up yet. See what God's grace can do in your life. And grace may not heal your marriage, but grace will hold you up. And grace will not cure your cancer, but grace will carry you through. And grace may not rescue you from your circumstance, but grace can redeem your circumstance and change your story. Grace is greater than the abuse you have experienced. It's greater than the secrets that you're keeping. It's greater than the addiction that you've battled. So no matter how far you've fallen or how much you have failed, grace is always greater. And God's grace is faithful. God's grace is true. God's grace is life-changing. And because of what Jesus has done, no matter how broken the pieces are, God's grace can make everything new. Grace is powerful enough to erase your guilt. Grace is big enough to cover your shame. Grace is real enough to heal your relationship. Grace is strong enough to hold you when you're weak. Grace is sweet enough to cure your bitter heart. Grace is satisfying enough to deal with your disappointments. Grace is beautiful enough to redeem what you are going through in your life right now. Grace is what will get you through the grief. Grace is what will help you get through this next hard season. Grace will help you deal with your problems and your depression and your pain and your brokenness in a healthy way. And grace is the only way that we get to have a relationship with God. And so you might be in a place where you are giving up on faith. You might be in a place where you're giving up on Jesus. And ultimately, you're giving up on grace. Please know this. Grace hasn't given up on you yet. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that you are here today. That is God's grace in your life right now. Right? We sang this earlier. He chases us down. He pursues us. He meets us where we are so that we can experience this love, right? this reckless love that just doesn't make sense. He'll pick you back up because there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. And when you don't know what else to do, that is all you need. Three times I asked for it. He said, my grace is all you need. You are saved by grace. You grow in grace and you die in grace. 
It's all grace, and it's never anything but grace. Let's pray. God, we understand what it's like to have this thorn in our side. God, this pain in our life, this frustration in our life, this brokenness in our life. God, we know what it's like to call out to you and say, God, take this away. And if we're being honest, God, what we want you to do is we want your power. We just want you to fix it. But instead, you give us grace. And the thing is, we don't fully understand why that's what you give us. But as we go through the storms, we realize it's because that's what we need. We need that unconditional love. We need that second chance. We need that forgiveness. We need that healing. We need that hope. We need that peace. And so, God, I just pray, um, as people have heard these stories over the past few weeks, if they've wrestled with their own story, their own life, God, I pray that today is the day they realize when you are at the center of their stories, when there is grace, their stories can change doesn't have to be the way society would want it to be. There can be forgiveness and there can be hope. And there can be this unconditional love that drives us to move forward. So God, I pray for anybody here who feels like they're just in that low, low place and they don't know what else to do. God, that today is the day they where they feel that grace or are reminded of that grace they said yes to a long time ago. God, to thank you that your grace can heal all things, that your grace can make things new. And ultimately, that you loved us enough to send your son to die on a cross so that we could experience this in our own lives. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.